welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back to another episode of Barnyard Language. We are so happy that you're joining us here today. And I will start as every week and ask Katie what's going on in the farm, what's going on in the house, how are things in Iowa today? Looks like we're gearing up for another nasty summer thunderstorm at some point today. We had a big one Tuesday. Thankfully, we did not get the golf ball size hail. So oh, our crops are all still good. looking pretty okay. Yeah. And are those the kind that come with tornado warnings too? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was in a daycare board meeting when the warnings started going off. And so the daycare has, you know, an automated system that announces it through the PA. And then apparently everybody on the board is signed up. You know, our county has an emergency management system that like texts, emails, and calls at the same time. So there's seven of us whose phones are blowing up and this PA system. And I was like, you had lots of notice if something. Yeah. I was like, you think they want our attention about something? I mean, like better that than, you know, that's how people get killed is when they don't know about tornado warnings. So, and I mean, obviously you can get killed even with an effective warning. Yeah. You could be warned. It's safer to have some warning about it happening. So big storm looks like another one coming in. It is that time of year. And other than that, all the crops are in. We got first crop hay in, cotton baled and everything. And with this rain and it's been mid to high 80s every day, the hay is coming back with a vengeance, which is fantastic. And the corn is growing real well. Cows are good. Sheep are good. Chickens are improving. We've taken out, uh, Jim and his cousin took out seven raccoons the other night. And we have plenty more to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Kids are good. We've been working on our bedtime routine. So we're... How's that going? I'm working on convincing them that they can fall asleep in the same bed, which makes it a lot easier because there's still too little for one person to effectively put them to bed in different rooms, you know, because they insist that someone needs to sit with them, which is kind of the high point of my day, honestly. I'm sure it's not the very best for their sleep habits to have someone stay with them until they fall asleep but they're gone all day we're working all day i'm not going to give up my 20 minutes of cuddle time with my babies but with them refusing to be in the same bed and jim being out farming until late at night it's been kind of a shit show with bedtime which basically involves everybody passing out on the couch and then getting shuffled up to bed late and whatever right so that's not your ideal routine then that that is not my ideal routine because i also pass out on the couch and then miss you know (laughs) right seeing my husband or doing anything so you know knock on wood we've been working on sleeping in the same bed and they they seem to sleep better when they sleep together anyway so you know they're kind of like a little pile of puppies and they're getting better about taking turns which has really helped sleeping in the same bed because they're not fighting over who gets to sleep next to mommy which whatever there's always something to fight about yeah i'm trying to enjoy this time where i am the highest value prize 
because I know that in a very short few years, they're going to be horrified by the fact that they have parents and, you know, be super embarrassed. I would say we're we're not there, but no one is as really clamoring for me to tuck them in anymore. So I'll, yeah. I wouldn't shouldn't say that. My my seven year old still would prefer that I read him stories and tuck him in, and I still get to sing "Twinkle Twinkle" at the at the end of the day. But yeah, other than him, there's there's not really anybody who's who's desperate for me to tuck them in. I mean, I still do. They just yeah. <laughs> pretend they don't like it. We we have a pretty enthusiastic hugging routine when I drop them off at daycare and at school. And I've noticed that a lot of other kids will like get up from the tables to come watch. And I'm never sure if I should like offer them hugs as well, because they're little kids and, you know, but at the same time, our culture is pretty don't touch my children, which is understandable and also sad. So. We have to do squeeze hugs and then pick me up hugs and then hug us both at the same time and then another squeeze hug and then a whole bunch of kisses and then I can leave. So (laughs) I'm guessing that's going to be a lot more awkward when they're like 14 and 15 and I'm still demanding squeeze hugs every morning at school. (laughs) Too bad. Tough titties, kiddos. Well, you can ask. They might not consent, though. Yeah. Arlene, I thought of a new question this morning that we Uh should be adding to these. What are you cooking for dinner? I have no idea. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's only 1030 in the morning. <laughs> well, spitball something that might be for dinner. I was thinking that uh, I need new menu ideas and this is, this might be a good way to get them. We'll just oh, ask okay. all of our guests what they're cooking yeah, for dinner. Don't, don't ask me every week. Think I actually did get some lamb out of the freezer yesterday. So I guess lamb chops and something. I don't know what's going with it, but. They're actually defrosting. So that is progress because often it's midday before I think to take anything out of the freezer. Yeah, I feel bad, you know, having sold meat direct market for so long and been like, never defrost in the microwave. It is evil because I basically defrost everything in the microwave because, yeah, I'm like, oh, hey, it's 4.30. I have to cook supper like now. <laughs> yeah, that's Frozen true. pizza or defrost something in the microwave? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so how are things on your farm, Arlene? With your things are good. It's funny actually. As we were logging on, I think that my my husband must have seen my schedule because I got a text that says, if Jim is wondering <laughs> So if Jim is wondering, we did about seven hundred wrap bales of first cut and three hundred and eighty dry bales. So that was the first first cut count. And we finished first cut on I wanna say Today's Thursday that we're recording. I want to say we finished first cut Tuesday and we started second cut on Wednesday. So just the order that all of our different fields were ready means that as we finished one, we just roll right into the next. So second cut has already started. That's some impressive planning and timing right there. And (laughs) also there could have been overlap. Yeah. Also, thanks, Hugh. That really just took us up a couple notches in the farmeriness of this situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Other barn news, we have three new bull calves just born yesterday morning. So that was delightful. Just what every dairy farmer wants is a bunch of bulls all at once. There was a single and then we helped another one calf before we started to milk. And then at one point, turned around and realized that she was having twins, which we didn't know. The first one was big. So we just never expected there'd be a second one. So the second one was also a bull. So 
Yeah, so I've got three three bowls on bottles and then another little heifer calf on a bottle that I think I can get onto a bucket soon. So yes, lots of bottle feeding in the calf barn. Not lots probably compared to other farms, but for us to have four on the bottle at the same time is, is enough for me. Yeah, I don't think there's a ton else on farm news. On the family news, my father-in-law got home from the hospital, so that was exciting. We're pretty lucky that a lot of his care is going to move into the house so that is good there'll be physio and occupational therapy and those types of services will all be available to come to their home so that's good we may still get some calls every now and then for for assistance i'm sure and lots of visiting back and forth but it's nice to not have the visitor restrictions and the drive to the hospital to contend with anymore so that was pretty exciting for everybody I think and... that's one thing that really, and it's fantastic news, and I'm super glad to hear that he's home. I think that's one thing that really gets not talked about in rural health care is, you know, when you have to drive to town every day for an appointment, mm-hmm. how much time that can eat up. Yeah, you and know, especially, especially if it's someone who has mobility issues, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. which is what we're, what he's dealing with. So yeah, then you, yeah, you add a whole other element of the transportation piece is, is huge. Yeah, well, and especially to like with you know with pregnancy or anything that has more like blood testing and things the you know spending an hour and a half in the car for a literally five minute appointment is Mm -hmm. just kind of you know i mean therapy at least takes longer but i'm sure too it's nice to be able to you know go rest right afterwards without having to get home first and you know yeah and I will say I was I've been impressed with in pandemic and whether we're post pandemic or not I don't know but some of our health services they will still allow us to do over the phone which is kind of nice because there are some of those appointments that you really don't have to be in person I mean it's nice if it's an option but but to be able to to book an appointment even some of my father-in-law's appointments my, my mother-in-law would be in the hospital with him but we could call in and still be part of it and so whether we even said anything or not at least you know we could take notes for her or just be you know a second or third set of years who might come up with a question or or have something that we could ask the doctor that maybe they wouldn't think of or you know that that maybe got forgotten or something. So yeah. it is nice to have that option to, to call in or video chat into to different services too. Yeah. Well, and I think especially for folks who have, you know, chronic health conditions or things where like, if you're already monitoring your blood pressure at home and, you know, you have a pretty good handle on things, like why take up the resources to go to the doctor's office if you can just call mm-hmm. in and chat with them about it you know yeah I mean? for sure most of my appointments are pretty straightforward so you know yeah it's nice to not have to actually drive over there to do them yeah and then the other update in our house was as i think i mentioned last week my 14 year old who was in grade eight he officially graduated from his elementary school so that was an exciting night we got to see all the little kiddos dressed up in their suits and fancy dresses and I just love watching all some of the girls had like the really cute you know running shoes that match their dresses which I love and I mean however they want to dress is totally cool but then there's the others who are like trying heels for maybe the first time so then they're you know tottering around or trying to walk on the grass for photos and having their heels sink in and stuff yeah it's just super cute and it's 
it's fun to see a lot of them. You know, I've been together for 10 years. Our school starts in junior kindergarten. So if they've been there the whole time, they've been a decade together. So a lot of these little people that I've seen grow up. And of course, they do the slideshow that makes you cry with all their little baby and elementary school photos and then their big grade eight graduation one. So it was very cute. And did you say that Hugh took your son suit shopping? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, he did. They that, did an yes. excellent job. He looked very nice. He was quite handsome. And I've said before, my 14 year old is, is not neurotypical. So he has some neurodi neurodiversities. And uh, so he was really excited about his graduation and they were having a dance afterwards, which he wanted to attend, which was great. And then about probably 20 minutes after we left, I got a call from his teacher and he wasn't able to tolerate the sound of a dance, which is not unexpected. I think he was kind of disappointed and maybe we didn't think through enough what it would feel like for him because I mean, he hasn't attended a dance before. The school might've had them in the last couple of years, but those things didn't happen because of COVID and yeah, I haven't been to any weddings or anything in a while. And he has sometimes worn ear protection at school for different things, but I guess it just slipped my mind in terms of packing earplugs or something like that. So they did turn down the music for a while, but even then he had gotten to the point where he couldn't, couldn't tolerate it. So he came home, but there was another family was hosting an after party. So they were having a pool party after the dance was done and he still wanted to go to that. So that was cool. So he came home and chilled out for an hour and then around the time the pool party was starting, then we headed back out again. So at least he still got to celebrate with his friends, just not at a dance. And that's fine. Not everybody likes dances. Well, and that's great that it sounds like his school is supportive and understanding and helpful about these things. Yeah, for sure. We have been really lucky because school has not always been easy for him or an easy place for him to be. But we've all along had really great teachers and we've accessed lots of other resources and always had administration who are willing to make modifications and help help us help him in any way that they could. So I'm hopeful that high school will be similar. We've already talked to a few people there and have a extra tour scheduled for him in, in August so that he can check out the school where it's not so loud and chaotic because now it's moving between classes too, which is going to be new. So that'll be a whole other fun thing. I know for myself too, there are things like dances that the volume of the music might be fine in a place that's not like a high school gymnasium, which tends to be real echoey. And even the echoiness might be fine if it wasn't late at night and there tends to be a lot of flashing lights and they tend to be at, you know, like the end of exciting days if you're like at a wedding dance or whatever. And there's just a lot of yeah. factors where one or two of the things would be okay but all of the things is definitely not okay yeah that's right and, and yeah wearing wearing new clothes that don't really feel the same and shoes that might be pinching your feet and other kids who are singing along to the songs and all that kind of stuff is a lot all at once so yeah i get it yeah so, so i'm glad he got to main... go and try it yeah, anyway and... for sure me too yeah, so I think that's the main update. So the kids are out of the school, so that means they're hanging out with us every day. We do have a couple. Lucky children. Camp. Yes, they love it. I've started a new chore of the day routine in the house because I have gotten into the habit of kind of taking on everything, which I tend to do. So I'm getting more diligent and more conscious about actually assigning tasks to people and teaching them what 
success looks like in those tasks. So we'll see how long it lasts. We're only three days in, so it, it could completely go by the wayside in another week, but for now it's working and they're doing more in the barn too, but that's the, this is on the household side. Yeah, I'm trying, I had read a, an article about basically randomly rewarding kids for things that you catch them doing that are good to, you know, encourage them to just do more good things in hopes of getting caught doing them. Right. So the, this was the very first time I tried it, but the girl child has seen a, a dollhouse that she deeply cannot live without. She will die. She has a dollhouse, but this dollhouse is better. better. And, but it's also like $80, which for Christmas, fine, but I'm not going to drop 80 bucks just randomly. She really wants it. Yeah. 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 So the other day she comes down and she says, mommy, I cleaned my room. You didn't even ask me to. And she, she had, she'd done an impressively good job for a five and a half year old. And so I gave her some money. And I mean, this was the first time we'd ever done it. She had no expectation that she was going to get anything besides a cleaner mm -hmm. room. But now she just keeps walking up to me and asking me for money. And every time <laughs> I have to say, no, you have to do stuff first. Right. And so she'll what, like, what is it that I could do? Go put away two shoes and then come back and be like, now can I have some money? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, right. You don't get money just for doing the things that you're supposed to be doing because you live in the house and you're a human. Like you yeah. get money for extra things, not for not being a monster. That's not how this works. <laughs> yeah. Good idea in theory, Katie. It's already backfiring on you. I know folks who've had really good luck doing it, but I think you have to be pretty consistent for quite a while. So maybe I need to, I think they had said too, that they start with just like carrying a pocket full of quarters and every time they even like see one kid help a sibling, they give them a quarter to sort of right. reinforce the concept, you know, of helping. And Arlene, since you have not asked what I'm cooking for dinner, because I, oh, I sorry. actually do have <laughs> a plan tonight. That's why you asked, because you have a plan. Well, no, because I was thinking about it while I was cooking dinner. Today is Jim's last day at the job that he's had for literally more than half his life. He's starting at our local feed mill on Tuesday because Monday is the 4th of July. It's Independence Day in the U.S. So it's an exciting and emotional day for him, which we're not going to talk about because he's a stoic Midwestern farmer. Yes, yeah. We're, it's we're a never thing that's to... happening. Yeah, yes. but we won't, so won't discuss it. I will bear all of the emotional emotions for, for everyone. Good plan. But I, you know, I wanted to make a nice dinner. So we're having pot roast and carrots and mashed potatoes and chocolate cake, mostly because I want chocolate cake. And if you're you know, the one making it, then you get to make yeah. what you want. Yeah. Well, and you always see, you know, like you go to a restaurant and you see chocolate cake on the menu and like, no matter what, I will order it knowing full well that it's going to be some like frozen from Costco thought out monstrosity. <laughs> never as good as what you can make at home never as good no so if anyone needs me today i will be making chocolate cake <laughs> sounds delicious hopefully Too there will be some cake left when the rest away. of the family gets home <laughs> yeah, that's white cake yeah there's chocolate frosting just dripping off my face yeah if you come visit I'll, that, early, no, I'll make another cake we? how's that Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'll start start looking at flights today. Okay.
Should we move on to our guest for the day? Sounds good. All right, so let's do that. Who is the guest for this week? Today we're talking to Amber Bristow, who's a part of a multi-generational cranberry farm in Wisconsin. Amber is also a fellow podcaster and a new parent. Thank you for joining us, Amber. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here tonight. So Amber, we start each of our interviews with the same question, and this is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. This can cover crops, families, businesses, and all manner of other things. So our first question is always, what are you growing? Well, I am growing a lot of problems. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like you mentioned, I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fifth generation cranberry grower here in West Central Wisconsin. So this cranberry marsh has been in my family since 1918. So over a hundred years, which is pretty cool. So I am out here with my husband, my parents, and my grandma. I'm looking at her house right out my window right now. So we're all living right here on this little tiny compound. And then I also have a cousin who's just right up the road who lives and works out here as well. So it's truly a homegrown family operation. But aside from cranberries, I have a cat named Winnie. So if you hear some rustling around. That's just her in the background. You never know. And then I also have a Bernese mountain dog. His name is Bear. You might hear him as well. He's a, a big dumb idiot, but we love him. And I also have an, a fresh eight month old. His name is Porter. So he's the first of the sixth generation and the OG crayon baby. So that's kind of, that's kind of all on my plate right now. And I, I love it. So Amber, Oh, hey, look, it's totally my question. So Amber, one of the things I've really realized doing this podcast is how much I don't know about anything besides like shit we grow. Like I was talking to somebody about cotton one day and realized that I like know about the cotton gin that Eli Whitney invented and then like yeah. it takes a lot of water. So I know fuck all about growing cranberries. <laughs> like my husband said something, we're driving across Wisconsin. He's like, cranberry bogs and I'm like the fuck are you talking about dude like <laughs> cranberries grow in Massachusetts or something right and like so what I know about growing cranberries is like the picture on the back of the ocean spray harvest bottle you know the ocean spray cranberry yeah. juice bottle where it's like two dudes and hip waiters actually so what can I'm, you I'm tell gonna us interrupt about you quick. do it I'm, I'm actually going to be on a, on a juice label here pretty soon. So watch out for these new labels coming out. Because Are you in hip waiters? No, I'm not. They, <laughs> that's a different story. No, it's my whole family, which is cool. But no, we're in my mom's living room, which is weird. But anyway. Is the, so, is the cram baby in the picture? We took this picture like when I was pregnant, like kind of freshly pregnant, but not like showing. So I just look like a bloated whale. So it was a great time. <laughs> Perfect. So, this is your moment. This is my moment. I'm like, my face is fat. My stuff, like I just, it's not cute at all. And I'm, and they kept pushing the label back and I'm like, Hey, now that the baby's here, can we retake this picture? Because it was like all over zoom and like, they, it was just like this whole big thing. So they weren't allowed to come and like take the picture in person. And they're like, Nope, sorry. We're stuck with this. <laughs> but it's fine it's fine I, I shouldn't so, complain so you could be on bottles for years <laughs> yeah, yeah looking like looking like a moment. whale so thanks thanks guys <laughs> it's fine <laughs> so does does Porter have his own hip waiters yet is this like a, uh, a requirement not, he came out of the womb with them He's just already in the hip waiters yeah <laughs> yeah just slides are right, slides right out 
I wish it was that easy. I'm just picturing. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yuck. It's like a slip inside. (laughs) Oh, she's totally one of us, Arlene. Anyway, so you want to know how cranberries are grown? Yes. Yeah, there's the question. Let's loop, let's let's take this on back. So yeah, yeah, cranberries do grow in Massachusetts, but Wisconsin is actually the number one cranberry growing state in in the world, actually. So we produce over 60% of the world's supply of cranberries. Massachusetts also grows them, New Jersey, out in Oregon, Washington state, some in Canada, and those are kind of like the the main spots, but Wisconsin is the number one for sure. So a little chip on our shoulder there. It's pretty cool. So they are one of the few native fruits to North America. So they are found grown wild out here. And way back when we found a way to kind of cultivate that and make it into like a larger, larger crop. So the, the cranberries that you see out in the wild are going to look and taste a little bit different than what we're growing currently. So they actually grow in sand. So they're not grown in water. I know that's kind of, that's like our biggest misconception is cranberries don't grow in water. And that was kind of the main reason why I started my Instagram page is to educate people on how cranberries are grown because everybody's just so familiar with that image of cranberries floating in water that they just, you know, put two and two together. That's how they're grown. But we are in a marshy area. So our water table is very high out here. So literally just stick your finger in the ground. There's water. Like that's how, (laughs) that's kind of what our water table is like. And our soil is very sandy and acidic. So we can't grow a lot of other crops out here, but cranberries love the sandy soil. So it's almost like a, like a beachy yellow sand. And and we use that soil just because it drains really well and doesn't hold a lot of moisture because even though cranberries don't grow in water, they require a lot of water throughout the year to grow. And we also use water to protect them from cold weather. So all winter long there, you know, we're using water all year round. So that, that sandy soil really helps drain that extra water. So they're not sitting in water constantly. So I'll, I'll try to keep this as quick as possible, but it's a whole year operation. So they are a perennial plant. So we don't have to replant them every single year. Some of our vines are still producing fruit and they're over 60 years old. So I think I don't want to, I don't want to give my mom's age, but she was, she was tiny when these vines were planted and they're still producing fruit. So that's pretty cool. So at the end of a plant's life cycle, we'll notice that the production isn't up to our standards anymore. And after that final harvest, we'll dig everything out, dig up all the roots, dig up the entire plant, dig out all the old dirt, and then we'll haul in fresh sand, level it out. And then in the springtime, what we do to plant is we'll actually go out into a bed of a variety that we prefer. And we'll go and we'll mow those vines right down to the ground. And then we'll go over with a baler and just pick those vines up and then compact them into pretty much a hay bale full of cranberry vines. Keep those under running water until it's warm enough for us to plant. And then we'll take those bales of vines and we'll just shake them out on top of that fresh sand that we laid from the bed that we had dug out the previous fall. And then once those vines are sprinkled pretty heavy, we'll go in with a disker and then we'll just run over those vines and kind of push them into the ground put our irrigation back out there, run water, fertilize them. And then they'll just, they're self-propagating. So they'll start to grow from those vine trimmings. And then the bed that we had gotten those vines from, they'll also continue to grow. They'll regrow from those little, from what we mowed it down to. So it takes about two to three years for those vines to grow and develop until we get a sizable crop off of them. So that's kind of like what we're doing in the spring. We're also busy getting our irrigation set up. So after the crop is harvested in the fall, the plant will go into dormancy. So the vine just kind of like shuts itself down, doesn't continue to grow, but they still need to be protected over the winter months. 
And when they kind of start coming out of dormancy in the spring, usually right around this time, we need to protect those buds that have already developed from the frost and from the cold uh, spring nights, early morning. So we have irrigation and we, we run those overnight into the morning to keep the, the frost from sticking to the plant and kind of killing that bud off because that's where the fruit develops. And then in the summer months, just a lot of vine maintenance, making sure that the plants are healthy and growing well, making sure the fruit's developing. So we, we also need to irrigate quite often. So usually about an hour and a half every morning we're irrigating and then also applying fertilizers, again, making sure everything's growing well. And then harvest occurs in the fall. So for us, it's usually mid-September until the end of October. So usually like a four to five week process for us. And the way that works, so again, the cranberries are pretty dry year round. We can walk out there without getting your feet wet. So we use water to really help to make our harvest process easier. So all of our fruit goes to Ocean Spray. They are a grower-owned co-op, which is pretty cool. So all of our fruit goes in for processing. So we don't do any fresh fruit harvest. So that's a completely different process. But all of our fruit goes in for juices, craisins, sauce, jellies, whatever. So when it's time to start harvesting, we'll actually flood up the, the cranberry beds where the vines are growing just a couple of inches. And we have this tractor that drives right down into the vines. And it has like these little fingers on the front and on the back of this tractor. And uh, those fingers go right down into the ground, right down at the base of the vines. And he'll just drive through the water and drive through the vines. And these little fingers will just kind of gently comb the berries right off of the vine. And the cranberries will actually float to the surface of the water. So if you crack a cranberry open, there's four hollow chambers in there, which create air pockets and which allow the cranberries to float. So once all of the fruit is off of the vines, then we'll go and we'll add that extra water to really help get those berries to float up to the top of the, get, get them out of the vines so they're not kind of getting caught in there. And then we'll corral all the cranberries to one end of the bed that they're growing in. And we come in with, with our berry pump, which is essentially like this, this giant vacuum. And it's really hard to describe if you haven't seen it. So I'm just going to call it like a big vacuum. And it goes right down into the water with all, with all the berries. It just kind of sucks them up out of the water. And it goes up this big tube on top of this big platform. And then the cranberries will go into the back of the semi-truck. And we haul that straight to ocean spray. So from the time that we start flooding everything until it's into the back of the semi-truck into ocean spray, it's about a 48-hour window. So it's a pretty quick turnaround. And then once we're done picking up all that fruit, we'll pull the water off and recycle it back to the ponds where it came from. So we only do small chunks at a time. So we're not doing our entire property all at once. So that's why we kind of spread it out for those several weeks. So we can't leave the, the vines underwater for too long. Otherwise they'll suffocate. They don't, they're not getting the oxygen. So then after our harvest process is done, then again, if we have renovations that we need to do in the spring, again, we'll We'll dig out those old vines, haul all that old material out, and we dump it into piles that we use that old dirt for, for like road repairs. So everything is just kind of getting recycled and reused out here. And then in the winter, when it starts to get really cold, like bitterly cold, so usually around Christmas or New Year, we'll flood everything back up with water. So up to that harvest flood, so about two feet of water, all the vines get in water. And then we wait for that water to freeze into a thick layer of ice. And then... Once we have, so usually that takes about seven to 10 days. And after that time period, again, we'll pull any extra water off of those vines, recycle it back where it came from. And then that, that layer of ice will kind of settle on top of the vines. 
and protect the vines from cold all winter long. So we do that process over and over again until we get about like 14 to 16 inches of ice. And then what we do is we take, we have this giant sand pile that the cranberries grow in that same sand. So we have a big sand pile and then we'll load up dump trucks full of this sand, drive out on top of that ice, and then just spread a thin layer of sand on top of the ice. So then in the spring, when all that ice melts, that sand will filter through the vines and kind of push the vines down and, and that causes new vine growth. So the cranberry plant is a running vine. So it's, it's not it's not really like a grapevine. So it's not like just stringy. They are a running vine. So they do have those runners, but with that sand pushing down on top of it, those runners will create new roots. So then it kind of grows more upright instead of running. So if you're, if you're walking out there, it's very similar to a shag carpet is what I like to tell people. So it's, it's pretty dense and it doesn't hurt the vine to walk out there by any means, but adding that sand on top of the the ice in the winter, again, creates new growth and also kind of suffocates any, any bug eggs that are out there. So it's a natural insect control as well. So in a nutshell, <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing all year long. And that's, that's how you grow cranberries <laughs> in a quick, in a quick nutshell. That is cool as shit. And I feel like I have so many more questions now. Um, yeah. Lay them on me. <laughs> so they're not growing in rows then they're just kind of doing their thing like just <laughs> yeah tossing so, my equipment everywhere getting all excited <laughs> about this so a cranberry bed for us it's it's like an average size for us is probably like two to three acre rectangle and it's kind of lower into the ground so the roots are closer to the water table so the roots are just usually always pretty damp and then there's a ditch surrounding the the bed where the vines are growing so they're grown in these little separate beds, but the entire bed is just all cranberry vines. And so we have 230 acres of just cranberries growing like that, different shapes and sizes. Have you ever considered playing hockey on top of it in the winter before you put the sand down? I yes. Because, you know, a, a two acre ice rink seems pretty. It's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. And have you considered how I'm going to go ahead and say disingenuous it is that it's called ocean spray, despite the fact that they're all coming from Wisconsin. Like I get that central Wisconsin spray doesn't really evoke doesn't the roll same. Off <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Call it badger uh, spray, but that doesn't sound very good either. So yeah, their ocean spray is headquartered out in Massachusetts. So okay. I mean, they're a little biased. <laughs> Fair enough. So were your, was your family always growing for ocean spray or in the times that it was beginning, were there local co-ops or when did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, ocean spray isn't, isn't that old. I think they started like back in 1930 something. I want to mm -hmm. say, don't quote me on any of this. Cause I don't know. I might just be pulling this out of my butt. That's all right. I <laughs> don't, don't fact check me, but Back when we first started, there were local co-ops that we, that we were part of. I think actually like my great, great granddaddy, the one that started the marsh, he was one of the founders of the local co-op. And then that just kind of like fell apart once Ocean Spray started coming in. And I want to say we've been with Ocean Spray, ooh, maybe since the seventies, Sure, somewhere in there. Are there cranberries? Are, uh... Are they, I think you already said this, but are they native to North America? Like you're, it's not like your grandparents came from 
Europe or something and we're like, we'll try cranberries here. Like, so it was something smuggling that... cranberry vines in their <laughs> but, underpants. But or you know, something. a lot of, a lot of farmers, <laughs> a lot of farmers came to North America with skills from other places. Right. So like, yeah. obviously this is something that was developed in North America. Yeah. This was something that was, it's yeah. Native to America, one of the few fruits. And so before, before this marsh was started, my great, great grandfather, he was actually start, he was working on a different marsh and he thought he could do it better. So that's, that's like our whole family's mentality. Like I see what you're doing, but I can do it way better than you. <laughs> so then they came out here and then my great, great grand, whatever. So like this, this was kind of our home marsh. And then that family had like three or four kids and we're pretty Irish. And all of those kids, they, they also wanted to work on the cranberry marsh, but they all hated working with each other. So they, again, I like what you're doing, but I can do it better. So they just kind of split off and, and one, one son stayed here and worked with his dad and the other kids, like they just moved right down the road. So we have like a cousin literally right next door. And then another one right next to him. We have one right, right up the road, another one right down the road. So this is kind of like the whole marsh. And then everyone else is still growing cranberries around us. So like our town has like three last names. You're either this, this, or this. And so it was really difficult dating in high school because you had to like come home and give a background check. Like, is this kid related to me? I don't, yeah. I don't, haven't heard of him before. And it's yeah. like, yeah, sorry. Is the, like, is the tree forking far enough? <laughs> yeah. So, so I had to bring my husband in from like three towns over and it's like, I don't think there's any of you here. So I think you're safe. So is your husband working on the farm as well? He is. So he, he didn't have any prior farm background before he met me, but he was really big into like hunting and fishing, like just a total outdoorsman. So I think once he kind of saw like our woods that we had, he's like, Oh, I can hunt here. I'm, I'm going to stick with you. <laughs> so now he's been out here since the, the fall after we got married. So he's been out here for three years now and he's, and he's, he's, he's getting the hang of it. <laughs> You'll keep him. Yeah. We'll keep him around. <laughs> I'm an imported farm wife too. And I always joke that it's like that Corblund song about going to a family reunion and seeing somebody you used to date. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's it's the same, same <laughs> around here. So, you know, I'm, I'm all about the hard hitting journalism, obviously two questions. How many generations in cranberry bogs do you think it would take before your kids started being born with webbed feet? I mean, it seems like a real advantageous thing <laughs> better than the hip waiters for sure like <laughs> I mean we're on the sixth generation right now and I checked his toes and okay, they're not webbed yet. yet so I'm, I'm gonna say at least like the 12th maybe okay okay fair enough I was so gonna that's feel either... really really <laughs> awkward if you were like my kid actually does have webbed toes <laughs> like, I, wow, I jackass. Okay. <laughs> so it's either gonna come from like inbreeding or just enough you know yeah. just evolution <laughs> I understand. And then second hard hitting question, because people have some real thoughts about this cranberry sauce, homemade, whole berry or jelly. Oh yeah. Oh no. Yeah. No, I'm going there. I'm going She's there. making you take a stand on this one. Oh no. I, oh, and then God. we're going to call your mom and tell her what you said and we'll see how much trouble you're in. <laughs> it's so. not my mom. It's my grandma. Like I'm looking at her house and I love her. I love her homemade, but there's just something about the whole berry from a can. Did you know you can shotgun it? You can shotgun from a cranberry sauce can. I did it for a TikTok last year. I cut the shit out of my lip. 
this is basically the best thing I've ever heard. Like, wow. yeah, this just moved to my favorite interview status. <laughs> like, how do you, I mean, how? I know well, I could go first, watch TikTok, but. You, so I don't know if you guys read directions on the cranberry sauce, but you're supposed to open it from the bottom, like open it. I don't know why. I don't know why they so just can't put the label. So that it out better? I, I don't, I don't know. The label over. That's a good question. Yeah. That's so anyway, so you, you, you pop the top on it. And then you have to get like a really sharp bottle opener, like the spade kind. And then don't cut yourself on that because you're holding like a round object and pushing on it. And then you have to like really kind of pry the can open and then you just suck it out. So it's not really shotgunning. It's just like sucking it out of the can, but. Shotgunning sounds better. I, I thought so. But and then fun. you end up just like eating an entire can of cranberry sauce. How else are you going to eat cranberry sauce? That's amazing. Like, <laughs> I'm so inspired right now. This, this really says a lot about me that I'm like, this is some inspirational shit right here. Like, move I mean, over what, Oprah. <laughs> We're coming with the cranberry sauce shotgun. <laughs> I mean, it's Wisconsin. And like, what else are you supposed to do? <laughs> That's true. No, I mean, cousins. now we know why I don't drink during interviews. No, my family were all about the jellied, you know, and you shake it straight out so it stays in the can shape and then you can slice it right on the lines. But I know a lot of people are yeah. offended by that. So I, I love it all. I'm not going to, I don't discriminate. I have a cranberry relish recipe that's really good. I'll, uh, I'll Facebook it to you. Thank you. You probably I'm, don't want to shotgun it because it's like chunky. also not in the can. So that's, that's fine. We'll make it happen. Yeah, there you go. All right, now, Arlene, you can move back to your more serious questions. Do we have any more cranberry, specifically cranberry-related questions? I know. Oh, I did have another one. I was yeah. one, you were staying over harvest that you're doing different fields at different points. Do you mm -hmm. have different varieties that mature at different times, or is there a certain, like, do they mature, you know, some fruit, fruit will ripen after you pick it, or, like, is it a time crunch, or do you have a little bit of wiggle room during harvest time? So we do have different varieties. So, like, most of our varieties, we, we plant it out, so they do mature at different rates. So the way that, like, Ocean Spray wants the fruit is based off of color. So if you ever have, like, looked at fresh cranberries from a store or something, you notice that there might be, like, a white one in the mix. That doesn't mean that the fruit isn't ripe. It might have just been growing kind of closer to the bottom of the vine, and it wasn't exposed to the cold weather. And the cold weather is what really turns the fruit that deep, dark red that you're familiar with. So, actually, the way you tell if a cranberry is ripe is by looking at the seeds. If the seed is brown on the inside, it's good to go. So, if you do get those white fruit in there, just throw it in your refrigerator, and it'll turn It'll turn red eventually. So we actually will take samples from different varieties. So like our early varieties, they don't need that cold, cold weather to turn that dark red. So they need milder temperatures. So obviously we're going to harvest those first. And then we'll take a, a small sample, like a gallon Ziploc bag to the ocean spray plant. They will test the color, let us know like our, our numbers. And then if it falls within a certain range, that's like our prime price point based off of color. So that's when we know when we can start harvesting or if it's not there yet, maybe wait a couple of days. And that's just kind of how we go down the line. So we have like an early variety, a standard variety that's kind of like beginning to middle October. And then like the late varieties are those really cold, hardy fruit that need really cold temperatures to turn that dark color. So that's kind of how we base things. We kind of have it staggered throughout the marsh. So we're kind of working in a circle almost in, in the harvest sure. <laughs> process. So 
over how many weeks then are like September to November or is it like a bit tighter in timeline? Yeah. So, so like our early varieties, they're kind of like in the middle of September. And then we usually take like a week or two off at the end of September. And then it's all of October from usually we start on the first and we're, we usually are done on Halloween. So on the 31st, so it's like a five, five week thing. If we're really moving, we can get it done in four weeks, but that's a lot. Yeah. So the white cranberry juice, is that then a specific variety or they are like just plucking out the ones that didn't turn? So we, we actually used to harvest white fruit and we would harvest that like in August, I think. So it's just, it's just harvested super early. They said it's, they say it's supposed to be sweeter, but it's, I don't think it really tastes much different. It might be a little bit lighter, but like taste wise, it's not as like heavy, quote unquote, but I don't think it really tastes any different. I think it just looks pretty. Sure. Then they've got a different product to sell, right? Yep. Yep. So by Thanksgiving, do you guys even want to eat cranberry sauce or are you like gross? Yes. No, I, I love it. I, it. I'm all for it. Yeah. I love cranberry um, sauce. So good. That's so what I like to hear. Second question. Where? Two more questions, actually. Where do I buy craisins that aren't just like straight corn syrup or whatever? Because a lot of the commercial <laughs> ones are really, really sweet. Yeah. Have you ever had a fresh cranberry? There's a reason why they're, they're kind of sweet. Yeah, I, I love them. I'm, Do you? I'm, I love sour food. So I'm like. Okay. So they're, I mean, I don't want to promote other people that are ocean spray, but okay. there's this, there's this company, I think they're in Wisconsin. It's like honest cranberry or something. And they have like unsweetened dried cranberries. They're a little bit of a different texture. I think they're like air dried so they're kind of like foamy almost like a like a packing peanut type of a texture but yeah there's no sugar added to those whatsoever there's also like 100% pure cranberry juice that ocean spray puts out and that's really good in smoothies and and that's what I use is like my my liquid base in my smoothie so then you're getting like all the health benefits but you're kind of burying it under a lot of other stuff yeah so if you're into that kind of thing there's there's stuff out there for you too and then if I'm Susie Q housewife or house husband, whatever, yep. at the grocery store buying fresh cranberries, is there something we should be looking for or? So you can only get fresh cranberries right around like the holidays, which is a real bummer. So cranberries don't freeze, thaw and freeze really well. So it's not great for grocery stores to keep you around because it's just they're, they're tricky. So if you are buying them, when, when you see them, they do freeze well, they can stay in your freezer for like, oh, we've had them in our freezer for like a year and I've used them and they're just fine. Or they'll stay in your refrigerator for like six weeks in the crisper. But when you do get fresh fruit, if you find some that are just like squishy, throw those out, just you'll, you'll know they're bad. They'll be like shriveled up. But again, there's going to be some white fruit in there. They're totally fine. They're, they still taste the same. But again, just wash them off when you get them, lay them on a towel flat to dry. And then we like to put them in like freezer bags, Ziploc bags. They're good to go. Just, just make sure they're completely dry before you put them back in for your storage. Awesome. Yeah. I totally freeze cranberries every fall Yeah, because I really good. like them and it is really hard to find them without, you know, being dried and coated in sugar or those weird flavored ones. I don't. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a purist. No, no whatever. offense taken. That's, <laughs> yeah. 
if I want no something that tastes like an orange, I'll go eat an orange. I don't want to eat a cranberry that tastes like an orange. It's it's weird. Fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> anyway, all right. All right. We're going to move away from cranberry questions, but we'll probably come up with some more before the end. Sure. So you and your friend, Becca, started a podcast in 2020, right? Called Forward Farming. How did the two of you meet? <laughs> well, uh, that's what that's how it shows know. up on the feed anyway. Okay. How did the two of you meet and what's the origin story of your podcast? Yeah. So I met Becca online, like most relationships nowadays. So I, I started my Instagram page, must have been in 2020 as well. And kind of like we said before, like, like, I, I don't know the world outside of my nose, <laughs> like the, the farming world. So like, even though I live in Wisconsin, I, I don't know much about the dairy industry. I don't know much about row crops. Like that's just, that's foreign to me. I don't know anything about it. So I try to find as many female farmers as I could on social media. And Becca was one of the first people that I followed. And the more I followed her, I was like, you know, our, our personalities seem pretty similar. Like her sense of humor is kind of similar to mine. And before I started my Instagram page, I actually thought about starting a podcast first and calling that Cranberry Chats. But I, I talked to my brother about it, my older brother first. And I told him my idea, how I wanted to be like all cranberry based and like all the people I wanted to talk to. And he said it was a dumb idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's like, no one's going to want to listen to your squeaky little voice. Like that's what are you going to talk about in a year after you've covered everything? And I'm like, okay, that's a fair point. But maybe oh, if I just take tough love know, from your brother, no kidding. And, <laughs> but it's fine. I'm, I'm used to it, <laughs> but he, he's one of my biggest supporters. So I can't complain too much, but so that kind of led me to start my Instagram page is like, well, maybe if I just take pictures, I won't have to like talk too much wise. And so anyway, I started following Becca and I reached out to her. I'm like, Hey, how would you feel about starting a podcast where we talk about like the state fruit is cranberries and the state beverage of Wisconsin is milk. Like we could come up with like something fun here. And like, we didn't know what we were doing. We're, we're like those kind of people that just fly off the seat of our pants and we don't have a plan for anything. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So I like watched two YouTube videos on how to start a podcast. I literally just typed in how to start podcast. We got microphones and then we set up our computers and it took us probably like an hour and a half to record our one minute introduction clip. And it took even longer to, for me to figure out how to edit. So that's kind of how it started. And then from there, so like our whole our whole premise of our show is to talk about being women in agriculture, what it's like to be a female farmer while being a mother, while being a wife and try to balance all these different hats that we're wearing. And then we also, this season, especially we're really focusing on Wisconsin agriculture. So we're bringing in a bunch of different farmers from, from the state of Wisconsin and just kind of chit-chatting about you know, specialty crops and, and things that people aren't familiar with or that you don't associate Wisconsin with. So it's been, it's been really fun. We've had some really great conversation and have learned a lot of things and had a lot of laughs and drink a lot of bush lights during it. So it's Sorry, I'm not ignoring you guys. I'm trying to delete enough shit from my phone so I can subscribe to your <laughs> podcast because right now my phone's like, don't <laughs> even fucking think about trying to put something else on here. I'm like phone, I'm sorry. Yeah. I did that too. I actually had to delete my podcast app because I didn't have enough storage. And then I'm like, I can't get rid of all these baby pictures from my phone. Like those are more important than podcasts. So sorry, my podcast reading is going to tank this week because I had to delete my app. 
Yeah, I need to, there's a lot of podcasts I don't listen to anymore, so I need to delete some of them. I'm not going to name names. That feels kind of harsh to be like, all of you, your podcasts are not worth it. Sorry. So what has been your favorite part of having a podcast? And Arlene, I love that when you spelled favorite the (laughs) Canadian way, Google was like, what the hell is this? And underlined it. That is the right way to spell it. In, but in Canada, the person who wrote. No, no. In Canada, does it spell check that as being incorrect? No. Weird. No, it's, it's correct. Okay. Well, see, I learned something else today. So yeah, me too. What was your question again? I'm sorry. What's been the best part about podcasting? (laughs) What's your favorite part of him? The American way. (laughs) Just kidding. So my favorite part about our podcast is just just learning about stuff again. Like I, I don't know anything outside the cranberry industry. So to talk to people who are experienced in, in other forms of agriculture is always exciting to me. Like when we first started, I asked Becca what brand of cow she has. And apparently that's not right. So I, that's just kind of like our running joke. And people always look at me like I'm a a freaking idiot. Like, what did you just say? Like, just go with it. It's what's your brand of cow. (laughs) It's not a designer bag. You don't have a brand. Like, it might be a leather, it might be a, it might be a designer bag one day. You don't know. Some of them are pricey. It could be because yeah. of their branding. Yeah. You never know. I mean, out so West, just, just people learning. do brand their cows. So I feel like in a lot of places, that would be an acceptable question. Thank you. That's very. So I was listening to your, to one of your episodes the other day titled don't have sex because you'll get pregnant and die which is the classic sex ed teacher line from the Mean Girls movie, which I love. Uh So I will say I had chills listening to your birth story, but I'm not going to ask you to retell it. If anyone wants to hear all about it, they can go back. But that leads me to my next next question, which was how has the adjustment to parenthood been for you? You said you have an eight-month-old, so there's a lot has gone on in the the last eight months we know as parents. So how are you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing, I'm I'm great. He's... (laughs) Porter is just the sweetest thing. He gave me a run for my money during my pregnancy and, and with my labor, but I, it, he's making up for it in the real world. He's, he's just the sweetest little thing and it's great, but you know, being like a full-time farmer and then, and then to not do that is, is tough. So I'm, I'm very fortunate enough that I can, I can be home with him right now and, and spend as much time with him as possible, but to have so many things change so fast and to kind of get out of your old routine and into this new routine and, and feel like you're not doing enough, enough work. You're not feeling fulfilled in the ways that you were being fulfilled prior. It's, it's a hard change because I worked really hard to get to the point where I was at, at work, I felt like I was really trying to prove my worth and kind of get up to a level where everybody was on a, a mutual understanding and respect with me, you know, cause you're kind of at the disadvantage of being a female, whether, you know, it's just, it's just how it is. Like, you're not going to be one of the guys, but I busted my ass trying to get up there. And now it's like, I only come around when they're, they're desperate for help. And it's like, I'm still here. Like I can try to keep up. Like I'm not going to, but I'm driving a lot slower than I used to because I actually care about if I'm alive or not. You know, like when I'm driving my dump truck, like I got to I got to be alive at the end of the day to take care of my little human. So so that's kind of been the hardest part is just adjusting to my new work life balance. Um, and I know this isn't 
this isn't going to be forever situation. So I'm just trying to enjoy the time that I can with him right now. And when I, when I can go back to work and kind of when all this COVID stuff dies down, maybe there'll be more daycare openings right now. Cause that's kind of why I'm home is like, I don't, I don't want to send him to a daycare that I can't physically go in and see where he's staying. Cause like you're, you're literally handing your kid through a window right now to go to daycare. And anyway, so just, just like, kind of like that adjustment to being a stay at home mom and like being the, the like farm wife and like making dinners and stuff. Like I'm not used to that. That's weird. I don't, <laughs> that's just not me. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be doing stuff, but I have to keep reminding myself that I am doing something really important and, and like my job does matter. And it's just a different, it's just a different role. And I just kind of that mental game that you're constantly playing with yourself on and what you deem as a job well done for the day is kind of like the hardest adjustment, but it's, it's great. I have no complaints and he's, he had his first meal of spaghetti and meatballs tonight right before we came on and it was just the cutest thing ever. So I, I love it. Has he had cranberries yet? He has, he, he had cranberry sauce. That counts. Yeah. But like nothing, he hasn't had juice yet. I'm, I'm holding off on that for a little bit. I feel like though, that's such an important part of why we started this podcast is talking about things like there's such a vision that farm wives, especially are supposed to like work right up until the baby like falls out of them, pick the kid up and go right back to it. And yeah, like anything else is just being too delicate, but also you should be totally fulfilled at all times by spending your entire day with this small screaming person, despite however many years you've put into your work. And like we were talking in an interview last week, I said something about, you know, one of my clearest memories of early motherhood with the first kid was like, you know, our kitchen window looks out under the barnyard and like standing over the sink, holding the baby, just sobbing because Mm -hmm. everybody else was out there doing stuff. And I'm in here with the crying baby. Yeah. It does get easier for sure in some ways, but it's so isolating. Just feeling like you're, you're kind of fighting this. I don't want to say you're fighting this battle alone, but you really are. And you know, your husband comes home and he's tired and all you want to do is just pass him off and be like, take this, (laughs) take this thing. (laughs) But again, I think just just communicating with your spouse and being like, you know, I need, I need to take some time for myself so I can be better tomorrow. And, and my husband's been really great about that. So he lets, he lets me, oh my God, don't, don't let me say that, but he's really great. I can, I can pass Porter off to him when he gets home from work and I'll have supper made. So all he has to do is just throw in the oven for me and I can go work out for an hour and just focus on myself. And, and just feel recharged when I come back in. And that's, that's been really great. But yeah, six, I, Porter was born at the end of August and with harvest September, I had to go right back out six weeks postpartum and I was working, you know, and he wasn't sleeping at night. So I'm not sleeping at night and getting up at the ass crack of dawn to go out and work all day in, in Wisconsin weather. It's, it was, I don't, it was, it was a true survival mode. And I honestly don't know how we both survived. It was, it was rough. (laughs) Well, it's such bullshit that we expect parents, women, especially though, to like 
justify every choice we make where we hand anything off that like when I quit working when I was pregnant with our daughter because my blood pressure was just going through the roof and like feeling like I had to you know like hang a little sign around my neck about why I wasn't working and I'm like just trust that if I'm not we've talked about it and like made the decision that's best for our family and yeah that shouldn't be anybody else's business about why we do what we do right when I was pregnant so this is the first grand like the next generation out here so my dad is is my boss obviously and it was like it was like I suddenly turned into Rapunzel when I was pregnant like lock her up in a tower and protect her and so I had to keep and it's like so like nothing I couldn't really do a lot when I was pregnant either not that I couldn't do it like I just wasn't allowed to do it so it's like I keep reminding him like I'm not I don't have a disability. I'm just pregnant. Like I can still do this. If I, if I can't, I'll let you know, but just like, let me, let me do it. And if I don't feel good, then I, I learn and then I won't do it again. Like I'm, I'm not stupid. I can, I can let you know and I'm not feeling good, but anyway, I'm, I don't want to complain. I'm, I'm very blessed, very lucky to be in this situation where my, my employers let me, you know, take this time and, and adjust everything. But it was just, yeah, after during harvest, it was, it was rough, but they gave me a lot of time off afterwards. And just again, come back when, when we need you and hopefully we'll see you in the summer. So we'll see, we'll see how this summer goes. So the next question here, he's what, eight months old? Yep. Eight I months. feel like, I don't know, maybe six to eight months is when they start really getting fun. Does that seem yeah. like Arlene? Cause before yeah. that, like I had a friend who was, you know, sort of like trying not to complain about her newborn but also saying like newborns are kind of boring. crazy yeah like let's admit it and I was like you've basically been handed a lump of bread dough that screams and poops and doesn't do anything else like <laughs> you know like you love yeah. them because they're your baby but six to like eight the months, highlight like, of they're your smiling they're they cute, smile. yeah. they eat stuff you know like so what yeah. What has been your favorite part of this age and stage? Everything. <laughs> he's he's honestly so great. Like, I think he's going to be the sassiest little shit. Like, I think he's going to inherit my sass, which I'm I'm loving. My husband's going to hate it, but I think he's just going to, he's, he's like blowing raspberries at just like the funniest time. Like, he's got the comedic timing, like down pat at eight months old. Yeah, you're so, screwed. Like, <laughs> I, it's great. <laughs> Like we went, we took him to a church service for Easter and like during the sermon, like during the pauses, he just like lets out this huge fart noise with his mouth. And like, I'm laughing. I think it's hilarious. My mom's like mortified and I'm like, it's fine. Like no one cares. Everybody but, uh, gets it. Yeah. He, he just started crawling and getting into everything. So he has like this little John Deere gator, like sit like thing that he sits in and he can like walk around in it. I don't know what it's called, but he's obsessed with our vacuum. We have a cordless Dyson and he's running around in that today. And I was recording a podcast last week and I left this vacuum, like kind of sitting against the wall. And while I'm recording this podcast, he just comes over and rips it and like crashes into everything, crashes on top of them. And I'm like, Oh God, you are going to think I killed my baby or something. But so today I learned my lesson and I kind of, 
I, I stopped using it and I put it against a wall and I barricaded it behind our trash can in a chair. So this little monster goes over and knocks our trash can over and then gets to the vacuum cleaner. Like he's just, he's a little trash panda. He loves our vacuum. Like he just gets into all this mischief. And it's so funny. Like it keeps me entertained during the day. Like I need, I need this. <laughs> like it's good. So he's mobile and, and just like getting into everything. And it's, for now it's funny we'll see in a couple more months what it's like but it's good it gets really hard having two kids who are like that myself and they're 16 months apart and trying to like maintain any sense of discipline when you're trying not to laugh because it's just ridiculous shit and I know like yeah our daughter wasn't 10 months old the first time I found her in the middle of the dining room table by herself so be prepared for that level of perfect because yeah they're yeah I, I have uh, a I've I have a really hard time not laughing at like uncomfortable situations or like inappropriate times I just I think a lot of things are funny that I should be laughing at so we'll we'll see how this goes like if when he's if he like ever drops an f-bomb on me I'm probably gonna laugh He's going to be I, the kid who figures out pretty quick what it takes to get mom giggling. <laughs> He'll just uh, yeah, keep going so I, for those things. I hope I hope Dan is able to like be the the cop, the bad cop in this <laughs> relationship. I don't know. I don't know how. How do you not laugh when a kid swears at you? Like it's just it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just from experience, I'll say it's a little less funny when you get the calls from the school. But you know, it's that's that's still, true. Still entertaining. And you can true. find out whether they used it in the right context or not. <laughs> That's when you know you're in trouble if they used it correctly. <laughs> I don't know what's, what's better or worse. Do they do it right? <laughs> I feel like I'd be angrier if they swore at someone incorrectly. Like, or if you they were just nothing? mean. Like, yeah. <laughs> I am much less concerned about them swearing than I am about them being mean to somebody. That's true. Which probably says a lot about me as a person, but whatever. <laughs> I feel like two parenting would be so much easier if you started out knowing how many things are totally normal. Like our daughter busted her front teeth, like chipped the bottoms of her teeth on a stair when she was little. And I was so horrified that like, what kind of mother would let this happen? And, you know, one of my friends was like, just take her to the dentist. They'll file them down. And I took her in and the dentist was like, stairs or trampoline? And I was like, she goes, oh, it happens all the time. My kids did this. And I was like, why oh, don't we good. just tell people that from the beginning so that they don't feel yeah. shitty about themselves when it happens? Like, apparently a huge majority of kids bust their front teeth doing some stupid shit. So there's my bit. Yeah, of and that's that's kind of like like with our podcast too. Like we, we always try to talk about like the good things and, and the bad things. We try to start every episode off with like something good that happened, something bad that happened, just to remind people. Cause I mean, like everything you see on social media is just like all oh, unicorns and rainbows and like, you don't see the real, real. <laughs> so we always like to try to remind people that like, no, we had a really shitty week. Here's what happened that, you know, we don't want to talk about, but we're going to talk about it anyway to make you feel like we're normal. We're normal people and your normal problems are normal problems other people are having too so I yeah I agree I wish people would share more of their their awkward uncomfortable stories like that to let you know 
you're not the only one. And I feel like if people get too judgy, just don't spend time with them. Like that's way easier than making your kid behave, you know, in a way that they will find acceptable. Just yes. Don't hang out anyway. So what are some of your future goals? So this can be in parenting on the farm and the podcast. What are you looking forward to? What things are you working on? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Being on a label. That'll be fun. I, I, I don't know. They keep pushing the date around on that. So I'm hoping it comes out this summer sometime. I don't know. I'll probably post about, I'll, I'll probably post about it when I find it. So, so that we're kind of, I'm really focusing on our podcast right now, now that I'm home and I have time to actually like focus on it before it was just kind of like, let's get it done and, and up. So now I'm really taking time to like dive deeper into like the guests that we're trying to bring on the show and, and make it more educational and not just always like a laughing situation, which is fun, but you know, I'd like to be a little bit more serious and a little bit more educational. So that's, that's been fun. And just kind of working on, on changing my social media up a little bit because, you know, you put so much time into this. It's nice. It would be nice to get like paid every once in a while. So trying to figure out ways to, to do that without having to like sign up for a big long course and like spend a lot of money to figure out how to make money off of Instagram. So (laughs) you know what I mean? So just trying to like keep myself busy at home and while Porter naps and just trying to be present, I think is kind of like the biggest thing that I'm focusing on right now, instead of like being on my phone when Porter's playing or something like get down and interact with him. Cause you know, it's, it's so easy to have your phone in your pocket and be like, Oh, he's just, he's just rolling around. Let me check to see what's going on social media, but to just put my phone away and just be present with him, I think is kind of like my biggest goal that I try to do every week and just be really focused on what's going in front of me instead of giving two shits what someone is doing elsewhere that doesn't impact me mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever. So just being in the moment and focusing what's in front of me is kind of my thing right now. Yeah. I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to you parents who are you know, having kids during this, you know, pandemic time, because I mean, mine are, mine are older and we had to deal with the homeschooling and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when my babies were little, I was a stay-at-home parent and I hardly ever stayed at home. You know, I was, I was, there were lots of things going on. We could go to the library and there were story times and play groups and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it was probably easier I always found it was easier to not check out if I was out in public (laughs) yeah kind of keeps you accountable I mean it's you know it's good for the kids too or that's what you tell yourself but it's also good good for it was good for me to try and you know like to get out every day and do that kind of stuff so I'm sure it's so much more challenging when those options are are limited and I mean not I mean I live fairly we're on a farm but we're fairly close to a town that has some of those things and people who are more rural don't always have those things at all so that's yeah. A different situation too. Yeah. Like with Porter, like we've only been to like the doctor's office and to church and like family members' houses. And that's, that's it. Like we haven't gone anywhere with him. He hasn't been exposed to anything. Like I've never taken him to a grocery store, like any of that. So he's a true COVID baby, just like living in our own little bubble. And yeah, like, like it was, is very hard not being able to go anywhere and, or it's like, go outside. Like, you know, it was, it's been so cold and just kind of miserable. 
so we can't go out and go, like, go for walks that that I usually do and so like being cooped up it's not fun <laughs> yeah for sure I honestly hadn't even thought about the fact that with kids staying home they're not getting all the shit that they normally start getting exposed to you know real young yeah or, you know like our daughter got her first cold you know licking the handle of a grocery cart at Walmart like I knew exactly when it happened and you know for these kids that aren't <laughs> getting that sort of you know exposure to all this shit that's yeah well, something good to worry about so oh here's Winnie my cat <laughs> oh hi oh my god she's beautiful though and she knows that look at that face <laughs> she it's does like, she knows yes yes I am she she runs this house like there's no doubt about it she's she's a true queen Fair enough. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair, what would it be? And the categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win. At a county fair? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I didn't go to a lot of county fairs because like we don't show agriculture or anything. So if, if I had to make up something, I would probably be the best at rubbing dogs' bellies. Like I could, I'm really great at finding the sweet spot on a dog, like to get their foot going. I don't know if that counts, but that's a good one. If, if that doesn't count, like at our annual cranberry festival, there's a biggest berry contest where you go out and like try to find the biggest cranberry that you can. And then you're judged based on your size. I'm pretty good at finding big cranberries too. So that could, that could be my backup, but my real one. I have to admit that when you said that you don't really show anything at the county fair being, you know, cranberry growers, that part of my brain just went to like what a cranberry show like in a ring might look like you know you're like <laughs> trying to square up your cranberries in the sand like uh, anyway it's been a long day yeah um, yeah <laughs> all right yeah, on you, that oh sorry, when are you go just ahead. gonna finish up my interview for me so I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. <I'm> just kidding <laughs> On that note, I'm going to move into the cussing and discussing segment of the show. We've recently registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe, where you can leave your cussing and discussing entries for us and we'll play them on the show. So go to www.speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we can read it out for you. Katie, are you going to cuss or discuss this week? I am going to cuss and discuss the embarrassment of being a rural Iowa farm mom of a certain age having to go out and act like a human after 40 years of being a small town Iowan and then almost what three year two years of pandemic with little kids I, I can't act like a decent human let's just accept it all my coworkers want to go eat sushi I've never had sushi because we live in Iowa and I'm just not ready to go act like a human and I'm going to have, have to. to go to act like a human San Francisco. But I did hear that we're going to a food truck park, which Ooh. is definitely my jam. Like I'm fine with looking stupid. And that's a good on, a, on an adjoining note. I realized that although I've worked with these people for almost three years, I have no idea how tall any of them are because on zoom, everyone is the same height. And so I decided that I think I'm just going to make a, a list of my guesses of how tall my coworkers are Ooh, and then I'm just going to see how, how close I get because I'm going to have a four-hour flight on the way there I might as well do something that's I a know. fun guessing game yeah I, mean, I 
really, I have no idea. I did hear today that one of my coworkers is actually three children in a trench coat. So we'll see if that's true or not. It seems reasonably possible. Amber, what do you have to cuss and discuss? And we'll let you start over if you need to like take a mulligan and redo it. Oh gosh. I mean, what haven't I cussed and discussed about? Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on I'm getting back to kind of normal. <laughs> I I met up with a couple of our internet friends probably about like a month ago now. And again, like nobody knew how tall I was. Like they were surprised how short I was when I finally met them all in person. Like, I just, I thought you were like 5'10 and I'm like, I'm 5'4. Thank you. And, but just like interacting with people, I, I felt so out of the loop <laughs> that trying to sit down and have a conversation with people that I have like similar interest with, I couldn't do it. Like if, if I wasn't talking in my baby voice, I don't know how to talk to like normal adults. Like it's hard. I, I had no idea what to talk about or like normal things to talk about. So it's kind of awkward. I'm just like feeling all this pressure to be like this bubbly type of person, but I'm just not finding things to talk about. Cause I, I don't go outside. I don't know what's going on. And like, so did you guys watch the Kardashians? Like, do you want to talk about that? I, I don't know what else to talk about, but so yeah, just trying to get back to normal and finding things to talk about after you've been locked in a house with a baby for six months is, it's a tough one. It's tough. And especially if you're dealing with like non-ag people, because yeah. you're like, you want to talk about like beef prices or something? <laughs> like, I will not talk about semen. I will not talk about fences. <laughs> I got nothing left. You know, no. if we get like non-ag related, I got nothing. So yeah, I've got like five things in my pocket I can talk about, but once I run out, I'm I'm done. Like, sorry. Maybe like, can we I need go to my sleep. Name. We need I to find start preparing. Getting really like... tired too. You yeah, know, like actually being around people and you know, it's exhausting. Make, making eye contact and yeah, all that kind of stuff. It yeah, it's tiring. Well, yeah. maybe that's part of it too. But my coworkers are like, they want to go out and have drinks after dinner. And San Francisco is two hours behind us. So when they're like, we're going to go out at 8.30. And I'm like, well, that's 10.30 my time. That's solidly two hours after my bedtime. And I'm just like, and you're going to go out then? Isn't it like, the other way, Katie? Won't it be earlier? It'll yeah, feel like it'll, six, it'll be like 10.30 my time. 8.30 okay. in San Francisco is 10.30 our time. Yes, got it. I am so bad at time zones. Okay, I had something else, but I'm going to cuss time zones because I'm Do so it. brutal at them. Because Katie and I are only an hour apart, and I still constantly mess up which direction I'm going and where the clock is. And I, yeah, I'm always messing that up. So, yeah, I found right. out that's, yeah. the, that's the other the way day, time zones work. Arlena, I thought there were 24 time zones. I don't know why I thought that. Totally not true. There's a fuck ton of That's a lot. I don't know, a ton. Like, There's more than that. Yeah, it was a lot. Okay. I don't know. I I was so shocked by the fact that there were more than 24 that I just like stopped there and didn't get into. <laughs> the I'm totally videos. I'm totally googling oh, this right now. Look it up for us. It makes sense though. 24 hours in a day. I mean, like, how confusing right. are we going to make? This? Oh wait, no. This says there are 24. Oh okay. <laughs> but they're theoretically drawn vertically. But there's actually like. Well, this says there's 37. So well, I know like in Canada, oh. there's one province that's a half an hour different. So the like there's there's 
well, Newfoundland likes to do things differently. And then there's like um, Indiana that's like half the time on one. There are 37 different local time zones in use. 37. That's stupid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I cussed I you time zones. The I thing know. I had though, I'm going to say it anyway, because I'll forget. do it. So twice now I have tried to put, well, no, the contractor did it the first time and the towel rod came out of the wall. I mean, it was, oh. it was in there for a long time. Then I put some anchors in, put a, now another towel rod in the bathroom wall. It didn't last nearly as long as when the contractor did it. And I got the wall patched up and I was very proud of myself because I actually remembered which paint color was the bathroom. I almost put the wrong paint color on, but then I found the right one. So the wall is fixed and I'm done with towel rods that attach to the wall. And now I have a freestanding one that works much better. So I really thought this was right going to, I thought this was going to go like our text conversation about fencing contractors, which was basically <laughs> the best no. thing I've ever heard. One of our, uh, recent guests described their fencing person as doing work that looks like he slammed four Irish car bombs before he started, which Ooh. is really pretty descriptive about what quality yeah, fence he's putting that, out. That's actually, that put a perfect image in my head. So yeah. that's great. <laughs> my yeah. bathroom looks much better than that. I'm just saying. Good. Good. So thank you, Amber, for joining us this evening. Where can people find you online? Where can they find your podcast? Anything else you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, thank you guys again for having me on. You can find me Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all Cranberry Chat. I do have a YouTube page, but I don't, I don't know. I, that's hard to do when you're stuck in a house. When I get back out there, it'll probably go up again. Again, search Cranberry Chats, you'll find me. And then also our podcast is called Forward Farming and we put out new episodes every Tuesday. So you can find us, find us there. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.